0: How would you like to test your blood ketones for just $1 per strip? Join the Keto Clarity Club at bestketonetest.com For the Keto Mojo Blood Ketone and Blood Glucose Testing. And join the club to get $1 strips when purchased in vials of 50. You get to choose how often that they will ship to you. And you'll still get that $1 price per strip. And while you're at BestKetoneTest.com, make sure you get the meter. And we also have glucose strips sold in vials of 50. And you'll get $5 off with the coupon code JIMMY. There's also the Ketonian Special Kit which allows you to get the meter, lancet, as well as a starter pack of blood ketone test strips. Again, it's bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. bestketonetest.com Have you been interested in trying the new cutting-edge technology of exogenous ketones but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement. You can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet... With perfect keto exogenous ketones will have your body running optimally perfect keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium Potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at perfectketo.com slash jimmy, and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Hey hey, guys, we're back here on the Live and Levita Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today, I'm going to welcome back on the podcast, second time in 2018, his name, Dr. John Lemansky. And if you listen to all of my podcasts, which... By the way, I do five a week, Monday through Friday, Tuesday, Wednesday here on the Live and Levita Low Carb Show. But on Fridays, I do a show called the Keto Hacking MD podcast, ketohackingmd.com with Dr. Lemansky. I'm going to call him John henceforth because it sounds weird calling you Dr. Lomansky. <laughs> and he is uh, doing experiments with me uh, looking at various things to add to the ketogenic diet as a hack. So welcome back to the show, John. Hey, Jimmy, good to talk to you. Yeah, the last time you were on this show, we were introducing you as my new co host of this brand new podcast, uh, Keto Hacking MD. And so that was many months ago. We've been busy, haven't we?
2: Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago, actually, with what we've been through.
0: Yeah. So what we do on that show, you guys, is we biohack the ketogenic diet because most of you listening to this show, uh, whether you're keto or not, you at least understand keto being the basis of uh, pretty much any protocol that you do Um, keto can be a nice hack in and of itself but we assume on that show that you're using keto as a lifestyle and so adding to keto are other things and so why don't you talk about what we've done so far John
2: yeah sure Um, well like you mentioned obviously we believe in uh, ketogenic low carb high fat as kind of the basis the ultimate biohack per se But within that, you know, people have different experiences based on kind of their understanding of uh, what a ketogenic diet should be like. And we want to kind of address certain things right now in terms of the macronutrients that we're consuming. So, we've done experiments so far. One was on fasting. which No macronutrients. (laughs) Well, exactly. So, the cheapest, easiest biohack to do. But you and I are big proponents of the benefit of fasting. And I think you can see... Right now, a lot of research, a lot of um, excitement about intermittent fasting, long-term fasting is going out there. And then we've tested the kind of the concept of a high, high protein as a way to kind of hack your satiety. Um, so we did seven-day experiments with both of those. And we've been documenting our lab work um, as well as what we're eating or not eating and subjectively how we're feeling. And then we're also now into a 90 to 10 ratio high-fat Diet for seven days, so we're right. basically consuming majority of our calories from fat. Again, addressing a couple things, uh, mainly what's the impact hormonally, what's the impact on our blood work, and then what's the impact subjectively on how we feel. What's interesting though is our initial expectation of how we would do with these different experiments versus yeah. kind of the rabbit holes that you and I are going down based on our different metabolism. And that, to me, I think, is really what's exciting about what we're doing. Right. Because we're really pushing the envelope in terms of understanding different responses to the same macronutrients.
0: Well, and even beyond that, and by the way, we're only doing seven days, so it's not like we're... Right. Doing these for 30, 40, 50 days. We're doing seven days with all the experiments. But the cool thing I love about our show and what we demonstrate is two very different metabolisms. You're and uh, We're about the same age. You're slightly younger than I am. But your metabolism, you have 10% body fat and you're insulin sensitive. And right. I have the opposite. I have higher body fat percentage and I'm quite insulin resistant. Uh, so it was kind of a cool concept to have both of us doing the exact same protocol at the same time, just to see what happens in the two of us.
2: Exactly. And part of that, too, I think is very relevant to a lot of people listening to your podcast, other podcasts, in the sense that, you know, people question why, let's say you have a little bit of extra body weight, why it's so much harder to actually remove that body weight versus somebody who maybe you know, has 20, 30 pounds of excess body fat, there is a significant hormonal change that has happened in somebody who's more insulin resistant than somebody who's not. And so there's this uh, argument that, well, you know, Jimmy, you've been doing this for so long. Why aren't you, you know, thin? Well, there's a reason for that. And that's kind of what we're trying to explore as well and show why that is.
0: Yeah. Well, the reason you're on this show here today, because, We've noticed something now with the three experiments that we've done. So, with fasting, uh, both of us actually got blood sugar levels that got pretty low. For me, the low 50s, for you, in the 40s, and even your wife, Jen, did that with us. And she got into the 30s with her blood sugar, still feeling fine. But from a medical, clinical, laboratory perspective, that was hypoglycemia, right? 100%. Yeah. And so, so then we did this high protein experiment uh, several months ago, three to one protein to fat ratio, a la what Ted Naiman calls for. And again, I had 15 bouts of actual physical symptoms of hypoglycemia, as well as it dropping 20 points on the meter. And so that was no fun. <laughs> so then when we got to the high fat one, I thought, OK, um, I shouldn't have any hypoglycemia with this one. And the high fat one defined as 90% of our calories coming from dietary fat. And lo and behold, by day three of that particular experiment, what happened? I got the worst case of hypoglycemia I've ever had. And so I wanted to talk to you, um, and you are a medical doctor. So people understand that you do have knowledge on this, um, is this surprising to you in any way? And what are some theories about what you think is going on? So to start
2: off with, yeah, it's, it's very surprising. I was not going to expect you to have such a significant hypoglycemia episode. Um, and if you think about it in the context of the experiments that we've been doing, so you would imagine that with a fasting experiment, you know, your blood sugar is going to be low. And it was, you were hypoglycemic, but you were not symptomatic. And and why is that? well, Obviously, when you're fasting, insulin is suppressed and you're able to basically convert your body fat, fatty acids into energy. And when you did the high protein experiment, you know, we we kind of pontificated that, well, probably some of the insulin response was due to protein. And so, you had an exaggerated insulin response from that and that basically dropped your glucose without a, a compensatory glucagon response. And so, that started the kind of the conversation of maybe do you have glucagon resistance or you not producing enough glucagon. And so, we kind of left that on the table and figured, well, that'll go away because Jimmy's never going to eat, you know, three to one proteins of fat. So, who cares? But then we get to this high fat um, experiment where basically you were consuming about 1900 calories, 90% of that fat. Right. And so the first two days you do okay, you know, glucose ranging 60s, 70s, you feel fine. You're still making some ketone bodies and you're still actually utilizing those ketones by checking your breath ketone levels. My theory, and again, a lot of this because we do not have access to, you know, research settings, this is, a lot of this is theoretical, but just kind of thinking it through in terms of why do you have a bad response? Why do you get so hypoglycemic with eating fat? Because let's look at kind of what we would expect with fat ingestion, right? And I mean, you're talking 90% of your calories. So yeah, there is a little bit of protein, but that's not going to be enough of a macronutrient to really kind of drive this process. So here's here's kind of the way I look at it. When you're consuming high, high fat, and now you're on day three, you've had a couple of days of basically the ability to burn through your glycogen stores because you're in a calorie deficit, right? So you're only consuming 1900 calories. So, it's not like you're eating fat and that fat is eventually going to be converted into um, you know, glycogen stores, which it can in the form of the glycerol backbone. So, when you eat fat, most of it is in the form of triglycerides. And those triglycerides have fatty acids, but they also have something called glycerol backbone, which is eventually can be converted into glycogen in very, very small amounts. But I don't think that you have any glycogen stores at this point. And so, at this point... When you start eating a really high fat diet in day three, what happens? Well, you have still markers of insulin resistance, as we know from your HOMA IR score, which is about 65. So we know you have insulin resistance. The question then becomes, do you have glucagon resistance, which I'm becoming more and more convinced that you probably do.
0: So let's and back so what, up because there might be yeah. people listening right now that hear glucagon and they got no idea what you're talking about. So why don't you talk about the role that glucagon plays in the body? Most people have heard of insulin and insulin resistance, right. but they don't know what glucagon is. So let's educate them.
2: Sure. So anything in your body has counter recommend uh, the ability to basically balance out to maintain homeostasis. Yin and yang. Meaning, yeah, yin and yang, exactly. So you have insulin obviously is a major driver, Um, but the counter regulatory molecule, I mean, there's many, but the main one that we're discussing is glucagon. So when you eat something, you know, insulin is going to go up and it's going to go up kind of dependent on what you're consuming. So obviously, if you eat pure sugar glucose, insulin is going to go way up. With protein, it will go up not as much. And then with fat assumption that um, insulin doesn't go up at all. And that's actually not true. It does go up somewhat the counter regulatory uh, molecule is glucagon. So when you eat as insulin goes up, glucagon is also going to go up because insulin is going to drive your glucose levels down and you don't want it to get too low like you're experiencing. So glucagon is really there to kind of drive glucose levels back up. So
0: this process is trying to keep you in some level balanced uh, blood sugar level.
2: Exactly. But most of the studies that look at glucagon's action are in type 1 diabetic and late stage type 2 diabetics, where they're basically at this point where they have to use insulin. Very little pancreatic Um,
0: function, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. And so, when you're looking at, let's say you eat something, what happens kind of at a cellular level is initially the beta cells in the pancreas, which make insulin, um, should decrease, okay? And then, you should get an increase in glucagon because part of that is actually mediated by insulin. So, you know, they kind of balance each other out. And in your situation, part of what I'm thinking is that you're not having the appropriate glucagon response. And that's why you're having these severe hypoglycemic episodes. What would make that
0: happen? What would, I mean, I understand the role. That excess insulin again and again and again could play in developing insulin resistance. Did I unnecessarily stoke glucagon too many times?
2: Most likely. I mean, I think we're in a field where glucagon resistance is not something that is, you know, in the mainstream and it's still being explored. Most of the studies are looking at um, this in rats and mice. There are some human studies that look at this. But I do think that at the kind of pancreas level, This interaction between alpha and beta cells um, are very important. And as you do damage to your beta cells, which we know happens when you have high levels of insulin, then you don't really get the kind of signal for the alpha cells to secrete glucagon, Mm -hmm. which is what you need. So we focus primarily on insulin because it's really one of the markers that we can measure You can measure glucagon, but it's not something that is very um, kind of helpful in terms of knowing what to do with it. I was going to say, does it tell you anything? The number uh,
0: problem. 27. What does that mean? That's the problem. And as we talked about insulin in
2: past episodes, you know, even insulin of itself, you can measure it, you know, three, four, ten times and get different numbers depending on where it's taken from, and then uh, timing of the the measurement. So same with glucagon. So that's, I think, part of the reason why we maybe don't know as much about glucagon except in kind of clinical settings, research settings, or, you know, big institutions. But even then...
0: On the glucagon, it got me to thinking when I had the hypoglycemia during the protein one and then again during the fat, but not the physiologic symptoms with the fasting. It got me to thinking, do ketones... Uh, negate the negative effects of glucagon glucagon resistance because I had higher levels of blood Mm -hmm. ketones in the like four uh, four to five range when I was fasting for that week, whereas I never got higher than about 1.56 on the protein. I did hit a 2.0 during the high fat, but most of the time it's been right about 1.5, 1.6. Exactly. And if you think back to the
2: fasting um, experience, you were checking breath uh, ketones with the level device as well. And they were you were ramping up quite a bit. I think you hit it in the 80s. Yeah, it so was So indic- It was very high, indicating a couple things. Number one, you're obviously utilizing ketones, so you're breaking down fatty acids at a very, very high level, um, not only in blood, but also breath. So you're actually utilizing those preferentially as energy. So, I think from a kind of hormonal signal from the brain signals, because you had such high levels of circulating ketone bodies and the ability for your brain to use those as energy, you weren't really getting these symptomatic hypoglycemia like you're getting right now, right? And again, it goes back to this idea of are you primarily a sugar burner or a fat burner if you're using glucose predominantly as your major source of energy, Anytime it drops low, meaning for some people, low is, you know, 90. Some people, low is 60. Some people like you, I mean, it depends. So in that situation, you know, you could have very, very low glucose levels as you did during the fasting, but feel amazing because you are continuously getting energy, you know, to your brain.
0: So it also begs the question of what do I do in my regular diet, which is ketogenic, and I got into the the fat experiment, really all these experiments, pretty well fat adapted by the blood, glu- uh, blood sugar and blood glucose numbers that we started with, and so I'm wondering what is it about my normal ketogenic diet, which is somewhere around like 75, 25, or 80, 15, 5, so w- why is that little bit extra percentage of protein and carbohydrates so important in possibly... Uh, negating the effects of this glucagon resistance causing the hypoglycemia.
2: Yeah, and just, just a quick side note about that. So in day three of your um, experiment, you had a very, very bad bout of hypoglycemia the by eating experiment. 90%. Yep. Exactly. And so what did you do? Well, you actually increased kind of the caloric intake, but you also increased the amount of protein that you consumed yep. and you felt fine. Yeah. So I think... Um, there's Just for the balance record, I did up.
0: about 35 grams yeah. when I had the episode, and I bumped it up probably another 30 to 35 grams.
2: Correct. Um, but in caloric intake was a little bit higher, about 400 or 500 calories. That's right. So the question then becomes, well, was it the calories or was it the combination of fat and protein? And I don't know the answer to this specifically, and I think you could test it by – having another hypoglycemic episode and just increasing, you know, 500 calories worth of fat. I don't want to and feel like that again no, anytime I soon. Know. <laughs> and, I, and I think in that situation, you wouldn't feel any better. So, I think it's this balance of increased protein, still the fat, um, which allowed you to kind of increase your glucose levels and feel okay. Yeah. In your normal day-to-day, you eat more of a balanced, you do eat carbohydrates, obviously good carbohydrates, but I think it's enough where You're getting enough fuel from the combination of fat, protein and glucose to kind of mitigate some of the hypoglycemic episodes that you might
0: have. So is it the glucose effects that come from the carbohydrates that's making that happen? Whereas when we've taken the glucose away either from carbohydrate sources or the gluconeogenesis from protein sources, is that the bugaboo in all this?
2: Well, yes and no, I think uh, because if you think about it, you just increased the 500 calories and it was protein and fat. Right. So there were no carbohydrates and you still had a but increase in blood glucose. the protein could have converted glucose. into some exactly. glucose from yeah. G&G. Right, and I think that's what happened. So in your current experiment where you increase the protein, I think you're exactly right. That's what happens. You increase your glucose levels by doing that. In your normal day-to-day the combination of the protein and carbohydrates that you're consuming also contribute to kind of homeostasis of glucose. I don't think it's a calorie issue because right. if it was a calorie issue when you're fasting, I would have expected significant you know episodes of hypoglycemia that were symptomatic. So
0: here's In the sense. interesting thing with all of this. Uh, when we talked to Ted Naiman after the high protein experiment, Uh, And we asked him if he's ever had anybody experience hypoglycemia. And I had 15 bouts of uh, now what I realize is kind of a medium level of hypoglycemia. After having this one with the high fat, Um, it was very major, um, scary even. And so um, and he didn't know why I was having hypoglycemia. Uh, Am I just in a medical anomaly or are there other people possibly listening right now? that perhaps have some of the same things going on with them and just don't know it.
2: Well, as I've told you many times, I think you're a unique butterfly. So that's probably <laughs> the answer to your question, but in all seriousness, um, you know, really the studies that look at this, you're not unique in the sense that, uh, other people experience this. Usually it's type one diabetics or type two diabetics who are really at the point where they're requiring insulin, um, exogenous insulin uh, injections. And, you know, talk to any type 1 diabetic and they'll tell you one of the hardest things is to control blood sugar. And we've been focusing really on insulin as one of those mediators, you know, giving medications that increase insulin secretion or sensitization or exogenous insulin. But part of the issue too is, is they get hypoglycemic episodes because The glucagon response is not there, and that's why I think for you, even though you're not type 2 diabetic, you don't take insulin, you don't take any medications, I still think that it's either a combination of glucagon resistance or you're just not secreting as much glucagon as you need.
0: And I still produce insulin as of the last reading. It was about 11 was my insulin, so I'm certainly not type 1 diabetic, Uh, and and not type 2, although very insulin resistant. If I didn't continue eating keto, I'm sure I would be type 2 very quickly.
2: Exactly. And I think that's an extremely important point because um, yes, you're absolutely not type 2 diabetic. You do not require insulin injections, but I do think that insulin for you is still something that is is much higher in your response to individual macronutrients is probably much higher than somebody who's not insulin resistant. And so, what we do know is that the actual beta cells of the pancreas that secrete insulin also regulate the alpha cell glucagon secretion. Remember back when I said that, you know, you have to have, if you had just insulin and no glucagon, your glu- blood sugar would drop, you know, precipitously. But part of the issue is that when you damage some of those beta cells, as in like type one diabetics you do not have any beta cell function, so they do not make insulin. That also impacts their alpha cell glucagon secretion. Um, And so, part of the issue that they have is when they're giving themselves insulin uh, injections, very frequently, it's limited by the um, hypoglycemic episodes because the glucagon is not being secreted the way that it should either. So, for you, I think we can extrapolate from that that's saying, well, probably you are also having some subclinical glucagon issues And these are being manifested when you have these very, very high ratio experiments like you and I are doing.
0: Mm. if you having issues with fatigue, the keto flu, or muscle cramping on your ketogenic diet, then allow me to introduce you to Keto Vitals. They will solve all of these issues. Keto Vitals is a high-dose electrolyte in a pill specifically created for the unique needs of the ketogenic lifestyle. They use only the best ingredients. In fact, their form of magnesium was shown in a double-blind trial to improve insulin sensitivity. Keto Vitals is 100% Guaranteed, if it doesn't work, they will refund your money. Head on over to KetoVitals.com or you can go on Amazon and get free two-day shipping for Amazon Prime members. Use the coupon code Keto1515 both on Amazon and at Ketovitals.com to get 15% off of your order. Keto Vitals. Yo, what up,
1: my keto homies? You know, I got to tell you about my main man, the LL Cool J of podcasting himself, Mr. Jimmy Moore, and his banging new project. Check it out right now, baby, at ketowhiteboard.info. This website is on fire and dope for, you know, people digging the whole low-carb, high-fat ketogenic thing. You hear me? This educational resource is, you know, super tight with simple one-minute videos explaining the whole, you know, healthy keto lifestyle. Go bust a move to ketowhiteboard.info and represent. Peace. Yo, you still there? I gotta tell you to get on that ketogenic thing at ketowhiteboard.info. It'll keep you jingling, baby. Simplified short-form
0: keto videos found exclusively at ketowhiteboard.info. Watch it, share it, live it. Brought to you by Mr. Jimmy Moore from LivingLavitaLowCarb.com. So, I'm curious, uh, kind of a timeline of events here, is it possible to have glucagon resistance without insulin resistance or without type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes on the severe range? Is it possible to just have glucagon resistance or does it first develop insulin resistance then glucagon resistance?
2: I would say insulin then glucagon. There are mouse studies that look at, you know, if you just get rid of the glucagon, but those are kind of genetically modified mice then you see the very same response of what you're describing. But in terms of like real-life clinical situations, um, insulin leading to glucagon is more likely what's happening.
0: So, John, it begs the question, insulin resistance, then glucagon resistance, what happens if those mechanisms don't somehow get healed and brought under control? What's the next chip that falls?
2: Well, I think um, a couple things. Well, as you mentioned, if you, Jimmy Moore, didn't continue to maintain a low-carb ketogenic lifestyle, then the next step for you is going to be, Frank, you know, type 2 diabetes and the the need for insulin injections. So, if anything, I think the fact that you are really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of figuring out what macronutrient ratios are going to work the best for you is extremely important. Uh, The next step really would be very, very difficult time regulating uh, glucose levels by needing, you know, exogenous um, insulin. They're theoretically in clinical studies and research studies, you can inject glucagon as well. But practical real life uh, use of that is, is really not, not possible at this point. And I think part of that is because it's such a rare kind of phenomenon in the kind of widespread uh, literature that it doesn't have a real... Life application at this point, maybe we don't know enough about it. Instead of just in like very limited circles, um, but I think the next step for for somebody who has really bad insulin resistance or just Frank doesn't produce insulin and very bad glucagon resistance or not producing glucagon is a very difficult time controlling blood sugar levels.
0: You know, I'm I, this is. This episode is making my wheels turn 90 to nothing, so I have like a thousand things I want to ask, but this one just popped in the head, and it's pretty interesting. So a lot of people in the ketogenic world uh, wake up in the mornings, and they have an elevated blood glucose Mm -hmm. level, 109, 116, 118, and they think that's a bad thing, and I'm wondering what role – uh, glucagon plays in that, uh, or does it play a role in it at all, and that having that higher level of glucose in the morning prevents you from having a hypo when glucagon would not be functioning well?
2: Yeah, and we haven't even talked about kind of the um, hormonal regulations, either you know norepinephrine, kind of the cortisol response early in the morning to drive glucose to be a little bit higher. Part of that, I'm sure, is glucagon also uh, assisting. Um, I guess in terms of answering your question, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to have a higher resting glucose level if you're in a ketogenic state right. versus just in a, in a Western diet kind of um, sugar burner state. But I think it's this interplay between cortisol, norepinephrine, and glucagon, as well as insulin suppression because you haven't eaten anything, most people, uh, on a ketogenic diet which is kind of really driving the glucose to be a little bit higher.
0: Yeah, and that's something that freaks people out. And I always tell them, check your A1C because right. that won't that won't lie. Um, and then test later in the day. Don't just test in the morning and think that's what your blood glucose is all day. Later in the day, it comes down to normal levels right. uh, and never to these levels of, of hypoglycemia that we've been having on these experiments.
2: I, I always tell people... Do like 20 jumping jacks, wait five minutes, and then recheck your blood sugar, and you'll see it'll be lower. <laughs> so, little little hack that you can use.
0: Nice. I love it. Yes. So, a lot of people, they hear the phrase insulin resistance, and, and I've used it quite often in describing what it is that I'm dealing with that perhaps is causing some of the issues, and now we know as an extension of insulin resistance, we can now add glucagon resistance Uh, I mean, obviously, this is not being researched right now, so we have no idea what statistics of the insulin-resistant population is also dealing with glucagon resistance, but where are we going from here in trying to get the lay public to understand what's going on and what they should do about it?
2: Yeah, a couple of things, I think, are takeaway points from this. Um, I think initially what you and I are really trying to do over at the Keto Hacking MD podcast, and just you in general, is to get more information out there to kind of start the conversation of, well, it's not as simple as what we've been told. There's so many variables that impact whether or not you can be healthy, but also on a ketogenic low-carb, high-fat, there is no one-size-fits-all. And that's, I think, part of the points that you and I are trying to get across uh, to the public at large is that, well, Some people are saying you should eat a very, very high protein. How much protein is enough? How do you know specifically to you? And specifically when you have different body types, what's the actual response? And that's, I think, part of the reason that you and I working together is fantastic is because we are kind of on other ends of the spectrum. And so people can kind of relate to one or the other and say, well, okay, if I have more insulin resistance, this is kind of what I should expect. And maybe that allows people to have a better insight into why they're having trouble either losing weight or getting their numbers under control. Well, there's probably a a physiological response that's happening that's very different than what kind of your mainstream people out there who are all ripped would say, well, this is what should happen to your body. Well, that's not necessarily true. If you've done damage to your body metabolically, you're going to have a very, very different response to any type of diet, but specifically a ketogenic or low-carb diet. And we kind of want to illustrate why that is.
0: Well, and the frustrating part for the lay public that's listening to this right now, they're saying, okay, I I hear you. But how do I figure out what that is for me? Because I hear keto. I hear certain people talking about carving up, certain people talking about making sure you get uh, the necessary amount of protein to induce satiety. And then other people talking about having very high fat. So how do people kind of circumnavigate all of these different voices all under the guise of keto and come to find what works for them?
2: Well, a couple of things, they can read the uh, keto cure, all the information's in there. Um, but in reality, I, part of it is experimentation. So I think the, the takeaway point is, number one, find out a good resource. So Jimmy obviously has tremendous resources. There's a lot of good resources out there. And start with that as your basis. First of all, what you and I are describing is really t- trying to optimize what we're doing. But going from a Western diet, which most people who are coming to keto are are coming from, just to go over to kind of a basic keto with the ratios that we recommend is 90% of the battle. So just to make that transition is, is I think, extremely important. Can you mention those
0: ratios for the people that may not follow us on Fridays?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, it ranges, but I would say 75% fat. 25% 25% or excuse me, the 20% protein and 5% carbs. It's kind of generalization and you can go plus or minus from that.
0: Just basically, if you want hypoglycemia. No. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Just never hit 90 of anything. Um, and just to have an idea of kind of the breakdown using a macro calculator, just to have an uh, understanding. Once you have done that, then I think it's extremely important to start taking measurements. I know a lot of people be on the other opposite side and say, well, you should never measure anything, just go by how you feel. I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum, where I think it's extremely valuable to have data to kind of guide you, especially initially, to know, well, am I responding well? Because part of the issue a lot of people will have is they'll go keto, but most of it is very dietary fat from kind of dairy products, and they'll still have a very, very high insulin response to that. So, they'll be keto and not be losing weight or not feel good or not be in, in high ketosis, That might be the issue. So once you get into this spectrum, then it's really about kind of optimizing it for yourself by testing and by making changes. You know, a lot of times I'll hear, well, keto doesn't work for me because it's just like every other fad diet. The reality is that it will work as long as you are willing to kind of modify it in little ways and test and see what the response is going to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that scares people, John. You know, we're trying to demystify this whole testing on yourself. I remember when I first started doing some biohacking way back in like 20. Oh nine, twenty ten. 2010 i started like testing the effects of atkins bars and milk versus two percent milk and skim milk and and i would post my results people would be like oh well that's what's going to happen to everybody i'm mean, no 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 this is what's happening to me and we're just right. trying to demystify this whole idea of testing on yourself why do you think people kind of have the ebgb's about that <laughs>
2: Well, I think a couple of reasons. Number one, we still have this idea that higher fat is dangerous. And so if they're testing things like their, their lipid profile or even something like NMR profile, the interpretation, most people don't know how to interpret it. And if you go to your primary care doctor, they the do response either. is, well, they don't either, or the response is going to be kind of a gut shot reaction where, okay, we need to put you on a statin because your LDL is going to be higher. Or that it so doesn't matter. Or Right, exactly. So, that's part of the issue. So, I think really education is at the forefront of us as a society becoming better at nutrition. We have to educate people like you're doing, like I'm doing, to understand this is what you can probably expect to happen and this is normal versus the opposite, which is, okay, just try to figure it out on your own. That's why I recommend having a really good resource for people And to kind of follow what we are doing, because that'll give you some insight into the response you could expect and how to manipulate your macronutrient ratios to really kind of optimize your ability to lose weight or improve yourself metabolically.
0: Well, and the lesson in all this, too, is don't get so dogmatic about what you believe is true. Right. Uh, let the data speak for itself, and I think uh, there's a lot of bro signs that's out there that people are making uh, claims uh, just based on what they believe, and then if they actually tested those claims on a variety of people, not just themselves, but seen it replicated in other people, we get a little closer to the truth, and that's going to help more people than just repeating something that just happened to work for you that may not work or may even cause detrimental effects in someone else.
2: Absolutely. And if you think about it, we are really kind of on the cusp of of science in the sense that we're pushing the envelope, trying to test specific responses to different macronutrients. But we have to maintain an open mind. And if you think about it, you know, here are two guys who are really promoting a ketogenic, very high fat. And we're the first to say, look, our response may not be as good as we expected it to be. Right? I mean, you're having a pretty bad experience. Myself, while I'm not symptomatic, you know, I'm not really making high levels of ketones, so my brain is not as sharp, which I would have expected with a very, very high fat, I would be making a lot more. And so, being able to be open-minded and saying, okay, well, this is what I expect, but this is actually what's happening and try to figure out why that is, is only going to benefit you and I, but also people who are listening or willing to experiment on themselves as well.
0: Yeah, I think the bottom line for people that are listening right now that may go, okay, yeah, we've been following Jimmy's journey for a little while and seeing him try different things. I, I think at some point people go, when is enough enough in trying things? And when when do you actually find answers? And of course, I've been on this journey a little while trying to figure out why there's challenges. There is good news in the midst of the challenges. I will readily tell everybody that right now. I mean, I don't have type two diabetes huge. I'm still down a hundred pounds from my highest point ever huge for a very long time, over a decade. I've kept that weight off and I have blood markers that are pretty decent. Uh, Other than the insulin, which like I said earlier was about 11 and we'd like to have that down. But I think you have to keep big picture when you're going through all these things, right, John, so that people don't get discouraged in the midst of tinkering and testing.
2: Absolutely. Again, I mean, I've said this over and over. I do not look at weight as the barometer of success. I know most people do. Obviously, as a society, we're inundated with what the perfect body should be. You had mentioned something to me, and I hope you're okay with me saying this, but your goal with doing all this is to not die. And that goal is, I think, something that resonates with a large part of the population because this way of living, number one, the most beneficial aspect of it is allowing people to not die. And people are dying at a much um, younger age from chronic metabolic diseases that shouldn't be there and don't need to be there. So, I look at this as, number one, can we reverse can we save people's lives right number two can we reverse metabolic diseases to the point where people are healthy off of medications number three can we yeah can people lose weight because there are associations with obesity with all these metabolic diseases but that's kind of the direction that i i focus on is is in that regards so people will say well jimmy you know you're still overweight but like you mentioned you've maintained a hundred pound weight loss do you have room to go? Yes. Is insulin resistance and probably glucagon resistance causing some of the issues? Yes. And so this is a lifelong journey that you and I and everybody else who's uh, trying to improve their health will continue to be on, and that's okay. We haven't even mentioned, you know, stress for you, which I think is also driving a lot of the issues that you have.
0: What role uh, does we stress play that? in the glucagon
2: Well, I think a couple things. So, high levels of stress obviously are going to cause high levels of cortisol, norepinephrine, and adrenal function or dysfunction. So, it's going to be more a question of what is it doing to insulin. It's going to be raising insulin, which also kind of rears its ugly head in the sense that your HOMA-IR score is higher. I think part of that is also because you're having elevated insulin levels put that into context with your glucagon, which we're assuming also is either you're not making enough glucagon or you're having resistance. And so, it's just kind of fueling the fire of the hypoglycemia, as you mentioned.
0: Mm. I'll stick to regular keto and that won't happen.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's the takeaway. The takeaway (laughs) is maintain balance, do your intermittent fasting. We need to work on your stress reduction techniques, which we're going to do.
0: And I'm in the midst of that right now, uh, doing some infrared sauna therapy and regular kind of massage therapy, mindfulness techniques, uh, sitting in a hot tub. I'm doing all the things to kind of help with that. But yeah, we're going to, on Keto Hacking MD coming up in the month of August, we're going to do a multiplicity of various hacks all on me at the same time, uh, I guess for about 30 days or whatever, to see what impact they have.
2: Right. Right. And I think you'll be quite impressed, actually.
0: Well, I'm excited to see that. So um, so what do we leave people with here today? Because some of this might be over the heads of a lot of people, and I was trying to keep it very consumer friendly. But when you start talking about all these complex metabolic pathways and things that are going on in the body, sometimes people's eyes glaze over. So give us right. a layman's kind of recap of what they heard today.
2: Well, I think the takeaway points for people uh, who are listening are a couple things. Number one, this uh, interaction between different hormonal responses to food is very complex. But it's controlling your ability to get all those things. So improving your health, not dying, losing weight. The second point I think people should come away with is... It's not as simple as just eating a whole bunch of fat in order to lose weight or improve your health. The third is um, what can you do within your current ketogenic lifestyle? What can you modify to maybe get some improvement and how can you measure it? And those things would be measuring blood glucose, blood ketones, breath ketones, which I think are three extremely valuable markers that can help guide you to see how can I modify what I'm doing on a ketogenic state or low-carb state to really kind of maximize the benefit of doing this. Those are the takeaway points.
0: Yeah. Well, guys, if you like what you've heard today, go on over to KetoHackingMD.com, get caught up on my Friday podcast with John, where we're talking about a lot of these things in great detail. Um, Kind of the format when we started was, okay, we'll introduce a hack, then we'll do a hack, and then we'll tell people what happened in the hack, and we'll move on to the next one, but it's morphed into this we tell you about a hack we do the hack we give you the results but then we have other people come on experts and we have kind of a live in la vida low carb show styled interview with those experts talking about our results and talking about the topic and uh, yeah the protein one we camped out there for over 3 months so
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i think we we're both glad to move on but um we we get a lot of data from it absolutely yeah.
0: well the whole glucagon resistance idea came up several times with various of those experts, and then uh, Dr. Ben Bigman kind of put a point on it for us, and it really kind of got the wheels turning in your head, I know, about my mm-hmm. particular situation.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, and I'll be the first to admit that, you know, this is a, a field, especially when you're talking about glucagon resistance, that is is new to a lot of us, so kind of delving into it To see, well, is this causing an issue for for me, for you, for a lot of people is extremely important. Um, And I'll send you some um, journal articles so we can leave for the show notes if people are interested in kind of delving a little bit more into the science and learning more for themselves.
0: Sure. And if we figure this thing out someday, John, we should write glucagon clarity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: there you go. <laughs> Trademark that now. Uh, it's coming soon. There you go. But
0: we are writing a book together. So, the whole yes. biohacking of your ketogenic diet, uh, you and I are currently uh, under contract to write a book together about this. So you want to kind of tease people with what we're doing?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's so, a, it's a working title, The Keto Hack MD. And the concept behind it is. Number one, using a ketogenic state as your kind of base ideal bio, biohack. So, when you do that, when you're ketogenic, that is, I think, 80 to 85% of the battle. But then the question becomes, if you just do that, just change your diet, and you don't address other things like sleep, stress, um, exercise, the air you breathe, um, using things like sauna, cold therapy, can you really... Uh, be the optimal person that you want to be. And my argument would be that no, you can't because all those things impact whether or not you can um, control your metabolism, your hormonal response to food. So, the idea of the book is really to start off with a ketogenic um, lifestyle as your base and then start doing some hacks. So, if you have stalled out or you don't feel as good as you think you should, well, Throw in some fasting, see what that does to your metabolic markers, see that, what that does to your, your weight and how you feel. And then beyond that, start implementing other things, start really focusing on your sleep so that you can actually feel better, be healthier and live a long, prosperous life. Mm.
0: Well, Dr. John Lemansky, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Live and La Vida Low Carb Show. Jimmy, always a pleasure talking to you. And we'll talk to you on Friday. Go over to kidohackingmd.com, you guys.
1: Disc of Light